It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Good morning. It is Tuesday, April 21st, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. If you're anything like me, you are voraciously consuming mock drafts all week headed into the NFL Draft, which is April 23rd on Thursday. Is Tua Tungovailoa dropping? Is Florida cornerback C.J. Henderson climbing? Can he catch Jeff Okuda? Where is Jordan Love going? Where is Isaiah Simmons going? Any running backs in there? And uh, who is this guy? It's a year in which there aren't many of those who players, but there are one or two who could go in the first round. The most likely of these guys, the ones you've never heard of, to virtually shake Roger Goodell's hand Thursday night is Houston offensive tackle Josh Jones, a six foot five, three hundred and twenty pounder who started forty five games at left tackle for the Cougars and has been rising up draft boards since the NFL Combine in February. Twenty four seven Sports national writer Chris Hummer spoke to Jones a few days ago about his ascent for a story that's live today on the website. You can find it on the front page at twenty four seven sports dot com. And we're going to play you the audio portion of the interview, which focuses on four things. One, Jones went from an under-recruited three-star former basketball player to a first-round NFL draft prospect. He almost transferred away to a Power of Five school. He played for four coaches in five years. And he changed his body severely, adding weight and then eventually dropping weight to fit the requirements for his position. After we air that interview, we're going to quickly talk with Chris Hummer about Josh Jones, and then we're going to tackle Tua's controversial Wonderlick score. Stay tuned after the break. Well, um, I'm going to take you back to high school for a second. So um, I talked to, talked to Coach Aldridge, and he told me you were a basketball player. You had hoop dreams. Um, when did you really feel like you had to give up on those hoop dreams and pivot to football in high school? Uh, I say it was probably my junior year summer. Um, I was playing AAU basketball still. Um, and I was just, and I just, I'm not sure. I just felt it one day that, you know, I had to, you know, if I really wanted this to happen, I had to commit to it and give my all to it. So I stopped playing, you know, uh, AAU basketball that summer, you know, just commit to working out and getting better, you know, bigger and stronger, faster with football. Um, so that's, that's around that time, my junior year my junior year going summer going to my senior year. Okay. So you basically like football was only your thing, like full time, your senior year of high school, essentially. And I know you still played varsity basketball uh, that senior year, right? Right. Right. Okay. So, um, coach Aldridge also told me you were a little under the radar as a recruit. Um, I know you had some really good, uh, power five offers and ultimately chose Houston. Um, but what do you think kind of schools were missing on, um, with you kind of late in the process there? Uh, probably just a late bloomer. Uh, you know, I didn't know a lot, a lot about me early. Uh, and, you know, they probably just saw, you know, just a prospect out there, uh, just an athlete being able to, you know, because I was a basketball player, just being thrown out, you know, to the edge, you know, to the blunt, to playing left tackle. Uh, I'm not sure, man. Uh, you know, I was blessed to get, you know, the, the office I did because I had about 15, I think about 15 to 20 
Um, it's really good schools. Um, so they saw, you know, they saw a good amount. Uh, but I was happy I was able to choose Houston. Uh, ultimately, um, I don't regret the decision. It's one of the best decisions I made in my life. I was able to, you know, stay home and have, you know, a wonderful career, you know, win a lot of good games, meet a lot of, you know, play with a lot of good players, meet a lot of great people here in Houston. So, no. Well, Coach Aldridge did tell me it was a beautiful thing to watch you get on the edge and kind of block for screens. So he still appreciates that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how did uh, how do you kind of remember Houston pitching you and flipping you late in the process with that new staff that came in? Uh, so I had just came back from my Oklahoma State visit, which I was, you know, uh, which I was uh, committed to at first. Uh, and they just sent you know, Corby Meekins. Uh, he's actually back at University of Houston now. Uh, they sent Corby Meekins up to Bush. And, uh, you know, I went down to talk to him. Uh, he just told me to come take a visit. Might as well. I didn't use all my visits yet. Um, and from there, once once I committed to, you know, taking a visit, once Tom Herman saw, uh, you know, I was actually really interested. I mean, not interested, but once he just saw, like, a little bit of interest, you know, he put the full-court press on me, just, you know, contacting me all the time, uh, you know, talking to me all the time. Um, he actually uh, uh, came to my house uh, the night I was supposed to take my Texas Tech visit. Um, with all the coaches, I think he had about eight coaches only on staff, and they all came to my house, uh, you know, just to talk to me, you know, tell me on Houston and himself, and he, you know, he reached the guys he's going in with, uh, he wanted to be a part of that, and, you know, I feel like it was him, he was a major, he was a major key factor in, in me, you know, going to University of Houston. Um, I think you had four O-line coaches in five years, am I doing that math correct? Yes. Okay, so I'm kind of wondering, what's that like, especially earlier in your career, when you move from system to system as you try to establish yourself at left tackle? Uh, man, you just gotta. Uh, for me, it made me look at the, look at you know college. This one made me really look at college football almost like a business, just as far as you know guys can come in and out, um, you know whatever situation called for, uh, but. You know, you just have to stay determined, man. You have to stay working, man. Uh, you know, just be in tune with the game, man. You got to be in tune with yourself because, you know, you, you can't go – you can't choose a school based on coaches anymore. It's not it's, – it's, it's just not the reality we live in. Um, so, man, you just got to stay driven, stay, you know, uh, put your goals out there, the goals you want for each and every season, you know. Um, and I did that, you know, each and every season I made a goal, you know, and I, and I worked towards it. Okay. Um, I'm curious, how ready when you were a starter in 2016 after your redshirt year, how ready did you feel then? How ready I was, man, you never know when you're ready until you're in it, man. You know, okay. Uh, but, man, um, I feel like, I, you know, I, I prepared, you know, to, to the best of my abilities at the time, man. And, you know, it was a blessing to be able to go out there and start my first game against Oklahoma, against Baker Mayfield, one of, you know, and, and the OU, uh, after coming off such a great season the season before, man, it was it was a good time, man. You know, I, I feel like I was I went in there, I did you know did did the best of my ability. Um, you came into Houston around 250, 260 pounds after basketball season, right? I actually came in there at 230, 235. Oh wow, two thirty five. Yeah, two thirty five when I first got to the university. Can you kind of can you kind of take me through your freshman year or your redshirt freshman year kind of um, strength training process and what you kind of remember about putting bulk on your frame? Oh, uh, well, man, our, our weight room wasn't even in 
You know, we didn't even have a real weight room. They just took out the racks and put them on the in- indoor turf. Oh, because the facility was getting reconstructed back then, yeah, right? Yeah, it was getting redone. Um, and, man, we, we just, man, uh, we had Yance Reunite as our uh, strength coach. Uh, man, we were in there every day, man, especially, you know, we, we were separated at first, you know, from the, uh, from the main guy. Well, not the main, but just all the guys. You know, our freshmen just had our own group. Uh, man, we were in there all day, every day. I feel like, man, um, we wanted to make sure we put on the weight right as, as much as we could at the time. Um, uh, but Yancey's yeah, a really good strength coach. He, he made me, you know, what I am now. He, he built my base. He built, you know, as far as the weight room was. And, um, yeah. I've always wondered, you're, you're 310 now, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so what's it like to try to put on, and I'm doing that math correctly, that's 75 pounds? You put on about 75 pounds in 12 months, I assume? I did. I did. I was 290 when I played that OU game, my, my first, that, that, that first game. And so what, do you even feel like yourself for like the beginning part of that? I'm like curious, what's it like to just carry that much extra weight as you kind of work to slowly put it on? Uh, at the time, you don't really feel it, man. Of course, you notice yourself getting bigger. You know, you're growing out of shirts and stuff, but you don't really feel it, man, because you're working, man. We we're running, you know, um, you know, lifting. You don't really get I didn't really feel, I just know I was able to, you know, perform better out there on the field, you know, be able to hold my own more out on the field. Uh, but I went from that, uh, I went from 290 to my second year being 315 to my third year being like 310. And this past year I was, I was 295. Um, so I, my, my, my weight fluctuated a lot, you know, each and every year. What uh, what made you kind of land on 295 as the weight you played at this year when you were the most successful? Uh, man, I, I really I really got into my body and my diet. You know, being you know being older and you know learning more and becoming more experienced. You know how much you know how much more you know everything matters. Everything you do, everything you eat, uh, each and every day matters. And uh, and I just really wanted to cut. I wanted to cut my body fat. I wanted to be in the best the best shape I could be, and I did. I, I dropped 15, which things like, no, it was 13 pounds of body fat and put on eight pounds of muscle, muscle mass over that time. And, you know, it wasn't not something that we worked on as, you know, with our staff. It's just something I wanted to do with myself, you know, eat better and obviously, you know, keep getting stronger. Um, and I feel like it, and that really helped me for, for this past year. Okay. Um, so I talked, to, I talked to Coach Jones the other day. And he told me um, when he first came in and took the job at Houston, y'all sat down and he called you an underachiever. Um, I'm just kind of wondering, what do you remember about that, like initial interaction, that initial conversation with him, and what he said? Initially, I did, I did not, I did not like that. I did not like that at all. Just knowing, you know, this is another staff. You know, they, you know, they come in with their already, you know kind of like preset determinations of, you know, of you, um, you know, um, and I, at first I didn't like it, but, you know, um, you know, we kind of butted heads and that almost led to me transferring, um, even, you know, from, from after the spring season, uh, but after, you know, building a little bit more relationship with him and understanding where he's coming from and what he saw in me, uh, you know, we turned out to have a really great relationship like we do now. Yeah. I was actually, so um, he told me you came to him right after spring ball ended 
and you talked about um, wanting to transfer. Um, what was, can you kind of take me into that conversation, what you were feeling at the time, and also ultimately what led you to stay? Uh, so at that time, man, I was I just finished the spring season uh, at U of H, and I just wasn't, you know, um, you know, I, I was thinking more about myself. Because, uh, you know, man, I just got another new staff, new staff, uh, here at University of Houston, I know, you know, the type of player I am and, you know, the, the quality player I am, I just was thinking I could go, you know, to another school, you know, uh, you know, power five, uh, to where I can, you know, be able to showcase my skills, you know, just, just get it on a better platform. I feel like, um, and we're kind of went to that conversation. You know, I explained that to him, you know, and he told me his side, uh, ultimately me coming back, man, it was just, I wanted to start what I – I mean, I wanted to, you know, finish what I started here at University of Houston, man. Um, Dana reached out to me, and, you know, I, I told him, you know, what I saw about the program and why I wanted to leave. And, you know, that's one thing was the culture. And, you know, he asked me to stay and help him build the culture there. Um, and that's one thing, you know, I wanted to help him do. Cause I, you know, I came in with Tom Herman, with those – not even with, you know, Tom, but with those guys that were there already. Like E Rob, you know, the well, Landon Roberts, Cameron Malvo, Ty Bowser, you know, Aaron, uh, Aaron McDonald, uh, Terrence, uh, Terrence Stewart, just guys to where, you know, they were really leaders, you know, and they built their culture from, you know, from the players. And that's one thing I wanted to help, you know, go focus and with, and that's something I wanted to finish. And, and they told me I could achieve everything I wanted to achieve at the University of Houston. And, you know, I trusted, with, with, trusted them with that, and, you know, and they, you know, and, and it all turned out well. So. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you mentioned a little earlier that you really made an effort to transform your body on your own um, last off season. I'm wondering what kind of, in your mind, what sparked that effort for you and um, what kind of fostered so much change within yourself over that kind of time period within your staff? Uh, man, I think it goes back with, with Coach Jones, man. Uh, when I when I decided to come back, I came in his office and you know I'm told I'm I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to 100. percent And you know I'm, I'm and I would and I would need his help. You know, um, you know. And he, we sat down there. We made a we made a list of things I wanted to get done as the goals and things we really need to get done as a team. Um, and one you know one of those is to, you know become a true pro and that's in everything in your life. You know, um, you know spiritually, physically, you know emotionally, just taking control of your life. And that's one thing that we always talked about, um, pushing yourself, you know, because you, you got to do extra. You got to, you got to do more than the average guy if you want to be great. So, um, and that's one thing he always did was motivating uh, that he still does now. Um, so that, I think that was probably about the main thing. I'm kind of curious. Um, he, Coach Jones mentioned y'all worked a lot on technique. Um, can you kind of take me into like specifically what you felt needed to change for you last off season and what you really improved on as the season progressed? Uh, so yeah, so what 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 changed for me going into season, like just just technique wise? Yeah, from a technical perspective, maybe something about your pass pro, something about your base, like something you really felt like you needed to work on. I'm heading into your senior season. Uh, one thing that Coach Jones always, you know, would tell us out there is just. It's just the finish, um, and that's one thing I really, I really, you know, haven't really sh- hadn't really shown on my film just just quite yet uh, up to that date. Um, was just finish each and every play, man. Um, 
and that's what I did. And I, I changed, you know, I, I guess I turned a lot of heads this year as far as, you know, me finishing me the, the different, you know, the different blocks I can get, um, you know, especially, you know, going into the end of plays, um, blocking downfield, you know, yeah, extending plays, you know, running to, running to the ball, just just effort, you know, just committing your effort, committing your all, committing your all to, you know, each and every play. Gotcha, man. You uh, you got a lot better. Well, not a lot better, but you improved steadily as the year went along. Um, what was that a product of in your mind, and what do you think that showed? Uh, man, it showed, man. I, I was working, man. I wasn't, you know, I, we, we were working, man, each and every day. We were working. Our whole line was working. Uh, we were doing the extra, man. Uh, trying to trying to be the best we could be. Um, uh, and you know, as the season gets on, you know, you get you know you get back you know back into your groove. You get fine tuned. Um, and then you start scoring other stuff. You get to score the moves. Um, and that's when you really, you know, you see yourself starting to really find yourself really just in love with the game, man, and, and that grind. Uh, you know, right in the middle of the season, you know, you probably beat up from a few of the games, but you're still in there working. You're still in there late night, you know, with your boys watching the film, man. And that's, and that's where I find my love for the game, you know, in the preparation. When did you kind of – I assume one of your goals was to get picked very highly in the NFL draft or as high as possible. When did you really start to feel like you were playing like a person who had a, would have a first round grade? When did I really feel it? Man, I say, I say after watching the same game, uh, I just felt how dominant I was playing out there, how, you know, how fast I was playing out there, that I was playing at, at exceptional level. Um, you know, the best I had played, you know, my, my whole life. Um, and I say Washington State was my best game. This is one of, one of my best games this season. Uh, but I just I just felt from there, I just felt how comfortable I was out there. And, you know, how um, just just I was just flying around and, and I just felt it. And, you know, of course, you start getting the praise, you know, from social media and, uh, you know, different stuff like that. And, you know, you get calls from agents. You know, a financial advisor, so you, you get to you get to notice a little bit. Last thing, um, you had a you had a five year journey at Houston, um, where you kind of tended to get better every season. Um, what would you What would you say was the key to your development into kind of the player you are today? As you kind of look back at your journey, oh man, I say, I say, man, as early as you as like as early as you can find your traction and as far as you can find your routine that you know that that can get you uh you know ready to you know perform really well um and then i say i say get a get a you know get a support system man you, you got to have a well support system that pushes you each and every day um you got to set goals for yourself man you got to you got to reach you got to strive um cause nothing comes easy man everything takes hard work man every every single thing takes hard work everything good in life you know, takes takes effort, time, and commitment, and uh, no doubt. sure, yeah. Any uh, any predictions about where you'll get selected uh, on Thursday or Friday? Oh, uh, I do not have any predictions, man. What if, I, I I talked to more than half the, half the league. I say I probably talked to about twenty teams. Uh, you know, and and you know that that kind of gives you kind of like a gauge of you know what what team what space you kind of in um as far as what what team what, what number teams take um but man it's going to be a blessing man whatever team i go to it's a great opportunity man it's it's, it's going to be definitely a, a great night for me and my family 
Um, but whatever team, you know, calls my name, going to get a great ball player. They're going to get a player that's coming in ready to work, uh, you know, and, and, and win Super Bowls. Well, hey, it's been, uh, it's been cool to follow your career, man. I'm, I'm really happy to see you uh, kind of blowing up the way you have the last couple months. It's well-deserved. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk with us. No, definitely, man. I appreciate it, man. It's been, it's been a fun ride. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, we're back. I'm going to loop in a voice you just heard. Chris Hummer, what's up? Thanks for sharing your interview with us. Yeah. Uh, in studying Jones and in, in reading your story too, it looks like this is a case of a guy who just needed a little extra motivation to become the best version of yourself. Is that kind of the main takeaway you have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it helps that he had the athletic potential to be there. At the end of the day, he's six foot five, six foot seven, if you read Houston's bio. And a former basketball player with not necessarily elite athletic traits, but some really good ones. But he went through, as um, I'm sure y'all heard earlier, he had three different coaching staffs in four years at Houston before Dana Holgerson's group arrived here. And so he had five. He had four total coaches. Yeah, and staff, once so. and once Dana Holgerson's staff arrived, he was on his fourth offensive line coach in five years, and that really takes a toll on a player. I think we always think about maybe quarterbacks like wide receivers and running backs within the scheme and the system, but it's different for offensive linemen too. They have different demands, different um, kind of concepts for alignment. And um, he got to his senior year, had a coach that he really clicked with after some initial strife. And uh, it resulted in a first round pick and a complete turnaround in his play. And sometimes it, you just need a little bit of a spark and Josh Jones got that last year. Yeah. We're hoping it's a first round pick the mock drafts, you know, it's, and I, I, was talking to the viewers about this before, you know, I'm scrolling through all of them like all day. So right now, Daniel Jeremiah has got Jones. He's got Jones in the first round at, at 26, which is uh, to the dolphins, which is on the low end of what I'm seeing here. But you know, regard, he should be a first round pick. Uh, you would expect also, there's going to be a run on offensive tackles Thursday night at the beginning of the draft. And you would expect that to just, you know, increase Jones's chances of, of being a first round pick. You've got Tristan Wirfs, you've got, Jadrick Wills, Mackay Becton, Andrew Thomas. I think it's pretty cool that you had a you know possible first round pick answering the phone. Uh, probably a kid who's a little bit raw when it comes to the, you know interviews and media and kind of you know at that stage in his career, you know kind of just pleased to talk to a reporter. Whereas it would be almost impossible right now for you to get Jedrick Wills on the phone. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting uh, with that concept. Some of these guys have been talking to the media since they were fourteen in some cases, so. I think Josh Jones is one of those guys who's a little fresh. He also, shout out to Houston, he comes from a great program and a great um, communication staff over there. So appreciate them kind of helping us set it up. Yeah, Houston's now, you know, as we move on, going to have, if Jones is a first-round pick, two first-round picks in two years with Ed Oliver last season, last year. So that's really awesome for a group of five school. Okay, speaking of phone interviews that you've had, 
I want to wade through this Tua Tungavailoa Wonderlick score. So Tua had a reported score of 19 uh, at the on the Wonderlick that he took at the NFL Combine. And well, the Wonderlick, I think everyone knows what it is, but it, it's used to measure general cognitive ability in the three areas of math, vocabulary, and reasoning. The highest possible score you can get is a 50. Overall average is a 20. Usually the highest scoring positions are offensive line and quarterback. Tua got a 19 at the combine. There was some alarm initially that Tua had a 13, but according to Laura Rutledge of ESPN, that was actually the 13 was the score he got on a test he took at Alabama in the spring of 2018. And your important context there is that he was a freshman in college. So Tua, Tua got a 19. And that's the second lowest among all quarterbacks in the draft from the combine per all these reports. Jalen Hurts had an 18, interestingly enough. Chris, you spoke to somebody named Brad Coleman, and I'm about to read from a press release here that was pitched to us yesterday morning, who pioneered the application of hardwired makeup, which was the first methodology for assessing performance potential based on the latest advances in the hard sciences. He had some takes on Tua's wonder look. I have to know you know, what you got from this. It sounds like a lot of math and science, which isn't really my strong suit. Yeah, admittedly, even for me, and I, I enjoyed those stuff. I enjoyed that stuff in school, but it felt a little bit like going back to class, talking to Brad. Um, he just, I, he got a little, I think he enjoyed talking to me, got a little bit in the science aspect of things. But I think it's important to note, he's a former baseball scout. He was the GM of the Cincinnati Reds for a little while. So he has credentials in terms of scouting and he's developed kind of a service that takes a deeper look into a person's um, intelligence and the way people think. Essentially, the Wonderlick um, is designed for analytic thinkers, conceptual thinkers, people who can look in an abstract fashion, but also are kind of what you would consider the traditionally book smart. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick famously was a 50 out of 50 on this Wonderlick test. Uh, he went to Harvard. We all know kind of Ryan Fitzpatrick's background in that way. But not everybody fits that mold. And a lot of the times, that's not because they're not smart. I think there's just different ways of being smart is what Brad was trying to point out. And part of that is people can either be conceptual or they that's kind of they look hard line at something and they look at it objectively or they can be a person who senses something. So instead of necessarily like planning out what they're going to do or necessarily seeing something pre-snapped, they can react. Those are the quarterbacks that we often talk about being really good out of structure. Sometimes a quarterback can combine a little of both, which is why you see some quarterbacks um, with average to above average scores that kind of fit both elements of that because we all think that way. But in some cases, you're just going to have quarterbacks who don't think that way and are still pretty successful. Um, Dan Marino, I believe, was a 14 on the Wonderlick back in the day. Terry Bradshaw had a 15. Uh, Vince Young, I know he didn't have the most decorated NFL career, but he was good for a little while. I think he had like a 7 or something of that nature. And Tua, who wasn't bad on the test, is just not necessarily in trouble in the future just because he wasn't as super book smart in this regard. He just sees the game a different way. And Brad actually said that it's probably better in the long term that Tua sees the game that way because usually the quarterback position rewards those people who can react more than those who think. Yeah, you, you started talking about quarterbacks out of structure and reacting, not thinking. And I, I said to myself, okay, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, let's see what they got. Uh, Mahomes was a 24. Lamar Jackson was a 13. And I remember it was pretty ugly out here 
in the media streets the entire season of Lamar Jackson's draft season, right? Yeah, and Lamar Lamar had so many stereotypes and so many narratives put on him, and the Wonderlick was one of those. But what you saw last year was Jim or John Harbaugh essentially building his offense around Lamar, doing what he does best, and let Lamar kind of read and react. And we saw what that was last year, which was one of the better quarterbacking seasons we've seen in a long time. So the Wonderlick isn't necessarily a kind of an end-all, be-all with this stuff. I actually thought one of the more interesting takeaways from this interview is I think we kind of make fun of the idea that people can be too smart for football. Like, I know I always have. But um, Brad Coleman actually said there might be something to that. He said he wouldn't call it a red flag, but Joe Burrow's 34 score, he would say it's more of a yellow flag because sometimes quarterbacks who are that kind of um, traditionally smart and book smart can overthink things. And when they have to face adversity and they lose consistently in a situation, they can start kind of overthinking what they're doing and it can have a snowballing effect. Whereas guys that are more um, sensing thinkers um, can move past plays very easily. And I know we've seen Joe Burrow go through adversity in college, but it's, it's something to keep in mind for the future. Yeah. Joe Burrow, 34. Justin Herbert, 39, by the way, which I thought was super interesting. Justin Herbert was 39. Yeah. 39. He was one of the highest. uh, Originally his report was like a 25, but I think it was Daniel Jeremiah reported later. He scored a 39. So a a really high score from Justin Herbert. Well, then maybe Jalen Hurts was a, uh, now I'm kind of fact checking my numbers here because there there looks like there was a bunk report out there. Jalen Hurts, I'm seeing a 21 or an 18 and it's like, it's, it's hard to find out. It's the whole reporting of the wonder, like as we're just like sort of having a conversation here as I'm like scrolling to see what oh, was what. Yeah, and it kind of feels it's a little bit dirty. To keep in mind that all of these are unofficial. These aren't released. These are just kind of reporters kind of digging. And sometimes around the NFL draft, these reporters who are digging aren't always the most accurate. Yeah. Okay. The story I'm clicking on it, it corrected reports anyway. Okay. Yeah. I see Al- Albert Breer from sports illustrated. You're right. So he, there were a lot of reports out there. Okay, this is interesting. So there was a report out there about like these low scores, and it's up to essentially kind of like big big media, big NFL media to clean it up. He's like, no, Justin Herbert had a thirty nine, not a twenty four. Jalen Hurts had a twenty one, not an eighteen. You know, Tua Tungabailoa had a nineteen, not a thirteen. So yeah, thir- that's a pretty big like nine thirteen to nineteen is a pretty big difference. I'm not gonna say it's insulting to score a thirteen like. Again, we just talked about like the wonder, like probably doesn't matter all that much, but it like narratives start to get constructed around that 13 score that wouldn't necessarily happen around the 19. I think it was Dan Orlowski at over at ESPN who's like spent the last two months raving about Tua Tonga and get up and then just like essentially threw everything he knew about Tua out the window in one tweet and questions his intelligence and his ability to play quarterback. And like that's the kind of overreaction you can get with the wonder that I think is at best um, misfounded or misguided. Well, it's it's certainly an interesting data point, but it as you're saying here, per your research or your interview with Brad, it doesn't really tell us how smart you are in in you know this most complete way. And also, I saw Richard Sherman and a ton of NFL players are making this point. It's this test is being taken in the the throes of the NFL Combine. These guys are tired, you know, they're being shuttled back and forth, interviews, workouts. Okay, so you've got that distraction. That's a hard testing environment. You've also got the situation, like, they they know it really doesn't matter that much, right? Like, if you get a two, okay, then we got a problem. But 
I would be surprised if 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 Tua did that to the hundred percent best of his ability. And I don't mean like he's blowing it off, but they kind of know that this is just one of very many things. And Chris, if you're on the doorstep of being a multimillionaire and you're really focused on the most important aspects of the combine and for Tua, you know, that's interviews or that's, you know, medical fit uh, reports. And if you're Jalen Hurts or, you know, Jake Fromm, it's throwing, you're not going to be, you know, really that jazzed up about, you know, the, the whole question about does the train arrive on time quicker? You know, if it's got eight loads of cargo compared to like nine loads of feather, you know what I mean? And I, I would say about the wonder specifically, like it's been this, the test debuted, debuted in the 1970s. Tom Landry was kind of the first guy to push it. And I mean, the function of the test hasn't changed a lick since then. Like maybe the questions have changed and the length of the test has changed, but the actual like reasoning and thought process behind the test hasn't changed since the 1970s. And when you have something that's that static for so long and a process of scouting that's ever evolving, I think there is something to be said about maybe re-examining um, the utility of the test or the purpose of the test in the scenario, because like even like I'm from Texas, we had the star test growing up, but that's completely been changed the last five years. Like tests aren't meant to remain the same over time. And I think there's certain something to be said about the tests kind of remaining as it is for the last like 50 years, essentially. Interesting stuff. A pretty good layer of draft conversation here with, with not only Jones and it's kind of cool to hear, you know, hear from a, a guy himself. He's going to be a first rounder about, his development then also, you know, what you've got, you know, with talking to Brad, Brad Coleman and then, and then, you know, our kind of conversation about the wonder Lake. I'm excited about the draft. Hope to have you on again soon talking probably draft. Cause what else are we going to talk about? Right. So, um, we'll get you back on soon, Chris. Thanks for joining us. And, and guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of the college football daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, express your support, leave us a five star rating. If you, have a comment about the wonder lick or are you found a way to take it online and i want to brag about your score drop us your wonder lick score in the review so for chris hummer for our producer tony levitt i'm trey scott we will see you on wednesday for the next edition of the college football daily Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons, and now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.